This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 3D Pod. My name is Joris Peels. I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. How are you doing, Max? I'm good. I'm enjoying a lovely snowstorm in the middle of the spring. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> this is just uh, th- welcome to the new normal. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Who do we have on the pod today? Well, we've got, I've been looking forward to this one for so long because we got Christopher Nontong and he's uh, one of the founders of Mollyworks. And Mollyworks is, well, essentially what they did is they, they tried to make gas, atomi- gas atomization plant essentially in a shipping container. And the first time I, I thought of it, these guys, I thought, I, the first time I heard of it, I thought these guys are like turkeys, they're going to be dead by Christmas, <laughs> they're gone, you know? And these guys are either really, really smart or really, really dumb. And I thought it was just like the craziest idea I've ever heard. And the Mollyworks idea is you put a shipping container or a number of, uh, or this, this kind of gas atomization facility near somewhere, let's say at a forward operating area, if you're a military, or let's say in some country that doesn't have a gas atomization facility. And then you can make, out of scrap material, you can make uh, powder for, for powder bed fusion uh, applications. So you could just take scraps from one process and then turn them into to these perfectly spherical powders that you need to, uh, uh, to 3D print metal in. And I just thought it was the most fantastic thing I've ever heard. And then I talked to Chris and the, the foundation story is even more insane. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. And welcome to the 3D pod, Chris. Yeah, appreciate it. And thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this as well. Uh, yours, uh, your articles always make me laugh. So it's nice to have a, a little bit of humor when we're reading in the 3D print uh, yeah, industry. So Chris, tell me a little bit about how you guys got started. Because, uh, well, first tell me a little bit about what Molly Works is. What, what do you guys do at the moment? Uh, essentially, we're a metal recycling company. So uh, we, we founded uh, basically in a shipping container um, with the, the intention to be able to produce metal powder from a feedstock that is not wire or ingots. I mean, that's the, the core uh, foundation uh, point. So our intention was, was basically to be able to generate metal powder for a similar cost to ingot and we thought that that would widely open up the, the utilization or the adoption of additive manufacturing. Today we produce metal powder, uh, we produce the Greyhound, and then we also do 3D printing, primarily for our internal use, but we, we also are doing landing gear components uh, for aerospace applications. So is this metal like literally like you take junk scrap metal and throw it through a process and then you get powdered metal for, for making stuff? We, we've done that. Uh, so in the early days, we were tested, you know, just give us, you know, lunch, we, we got lunch boxes, tank track, uh, just a variety of, you know, pot metal or just scrap metal. And, and then we produced it into powder just for the sake of, of could you do this in, a, in an absolute time of need. Um, right. As we've aged and, and kind of matured as a company, we've, we've become uh, more sophisticated uh, in our process control and, and basically uh, our ability to control metal flow uh, through an organization. Um, so, so now what we're producing is uh, metal powder that meets uh, or exceeds an ASTM or a customer specification. And how do you do that exactly? What do, what do you guys, what's the, what's the key technology? It, it's the Greyhound system. So it's, uh, it's plasma melting and, and gas atomization 
system um, that can uh, basically uh, consume or, or melt a variety of, of feedstocks, get it molten, and then uh, atomize it all in a single step. That, that's the kind of the key differentiating point. Um, we've built a significant amount of up and downstream processing, uh, but it's it, most of that's driven from existing uh, technologies and just kind of put to our own little flair, our own uh, specialization on it. And what do you think? What is the use case? Is it a recycling one, or is it kind of like going into an area where you don't have powder? What's the? Why is this really? For whom is this really important? Additive manufacturing is a distributed uh, technology, right? I mean, it, in in traditional sense of manufacturing, you have large steel mills and and you know large uh, metal production facilities, and then the metal is transported all around the world from that large centralized production. And in additive, you have a, a wide distributed network of printers, and it makes sense that you'd have a wide distributed network of uh, metal processing. And so for, for us, we believe that the, the, the strongest use cases uh, are uh, to place Greyhounds either inside of a facility uh, that has uh, scrap generation and is adopting uh, or expanding additive manufacturing so they can close uh, their metal um, their metal economy, uh, or in areas uh, that don't have uh, gas atomization or, or basically metal powder production, um, but but generate metal uh, scrap, and and those are actually significant. Um, there's actually not that much uh, metal production throughout the world uh, compared to the the distribution of metal pin printers throughout the world. And who's then the customer? Is it like, for example, it would it be like the uh, you know the nation of Singapore wants to make metal powder available there or would it be like a shipping company or something like that uh, we have a lot of blue chip customers uh in in many industries so they'd be like traditional uh industrial companies aerospace space uh oil and gas uh we also have uh countries that have invested in, in the company through grants the united states uh is one of those significantly um in, in yeah, uh, small countries uh, like Singapore that don't have metal powder production are, are prime um, uh, locations to to put a greyhound uh, where they have the metal production and they have actually significant metal printing given their their square footage uh, or of country size. Um, mm -hmm. it, it can be a, a you know a major advantage. I, I don't know if you have experience basically shipping metal powder. It's it's uh, not trivial to ship it domestically. Uh, is it, is it a pain? <laughs> yeah, and, and it becomes a pain to to do it any anywhere internationally. I mean, I just did a training for dangerous goods, uh, just to to basically have the the training uh, to even ship the powder. So, um, and we do that because we only have two greyhounds right now. Um, so, you know, all these things that that we learn, these pain points. Uh, drive the the use case or or the need to basically have a more distributed uh, metal powder uh, network. So just generally, I mean, let's say I have, I have a, like this is my dream thing by the way. Like I have a boneyard full of old air, old aircraft, right? And I have nothing else. What would it, what would it cost? Like you don't have to like really be specific, but what are the, what is the investment that I would need to be in the metal powder business? I think if you had just a boneyard and uh, you could be up and running, uh, basically uh, recycling metal and producing uh, metal parts for, for less than $5 million, that would include the printers and 
Um, mm -hmm. I, I say that because the entire company, uh, you know, got to that point for, for far less than $5 million. And, and this is, we're talking like production, not, not just, you know, popping out a little powder. Uh, we, we were able to pop out a little powder for less than $500,000. That was kind of the initial uh, challenge. But get, having said that, I mean, I had to buy, uh, buy stuff from eBay. Um, you know, we, we bought vacuum induction uh, chamber and had to like flip it over. Um, yeah, everything that we kind of MacGyvered together is how you do it for yeah. cheap. But I, I think in a production sense, five million or less. Okay, okay, okay. Mm. And the printer would be like one point one already. Let's say with two plus the HVAC stuff, the CNC and all that stuff would be already be like the other one million. So you're talking about like three million dollars or something, right? If, yeah, if we're talking about everything, million. like the floors and HVAC and the the, the whole nine yards, let's say. Well, I mean, the big thing about putting everything in shipping containers, you, you don't have to have a purpose-built facility, right? I mean, you, you basically, all of the um, the key engineering controls, the key safety aspects are already in the shipping container. I mean, this was a big reason for us going horizontal was we couldn't find a facility uh, in, in our area that would, A, allow you to, you know, have a couple of kids basically come in and say they wanted to melt metal, and B, had uh, less than 20-foot, you know, uh, uh, wall or uh, ceiling height that and didn't have a pit. So um, we kind of forced to put everything in a shipping container and go horizontal. Uh, otherwise, there was no facility to do it. So our, our facility uh, that we're in is, you know, kind of a generic industrial space, you know, something you could find anywhere in the world. Uh, unlike most atomization or, or metal processing, they're very, you know, specific built uh, buildings. Mm -hmm. So how does the process work exactly? Yeah, we, we basically have a, you know, we'll call it a black box is the, the Greyhound and feed material uh, is, is sorted or, or uh, taken by XRF, uh, sorted solid scraps, basically, you know, any, anything less than six by six by six inches can be directly fed. Uh, various other uh, geometries can also be fed because we have uh, kind of a feeder mechanism. Um, powder, like uh, used powder uh, from uh, 3D printing, turnings, chips, uh, kind of that other type of scrap is all compacted into basically a hockey puck. And those are fed uh, and then uh, basically go through a melting process, atomization. Uh, the powder comes out in what we call the milk can or the pot. And then the pot's transferred to a sieving uh, system. It's kind of a, a generic uh, ultrasonic um, sieving uh, shaker setup, um, then that's canned and then put into argon and, and it's ready for shipment. There's uh, obviously some some chemistry interchecks in, in between there and, and process control, but in a nutshell, that's that's the process. And so how did you guys get started? Joris mentioned that there was an interesting founding story here. I'm curious to hear it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was selling electroplating chemistry, basically um, as a job with my dad. Um, and I started seeing the added manufacturing industry uh, boom. Uh, GE uh, bought Avio for you know four plus million dollars, um, and it seemed like the thing that was missing in the added manufacturing space was the ability to get metal powder for an affordable uh, price. It seemed like you you could never really adopt added manufacturing if if wire was kind of your cost basis right because apnc is by far the the premier uh powder producer and uh their their feedstock requirement is wire right so you can't ever have powder 
that's less than the cost of wire. Uh, I mean, otherwise APNC is just buying the market, which you know most businesses right. don't survive doing that. Um, so uh, we we thought you know there'd be a way to to basically produce this metal powder for cheaper. Um, so uh, I, I first went to a, a venture uh, group here in the Bay Area, and you know I said I wanted seven million dollars to start this company, and the guy basically like laughed at me and said, "There's no chance right. you're gonna get you're gonna get this," and said, uh, "Go go and try to find SBIRs." Um, and, and then once you have an SBIR and, and some angel money and you have a prototype, you know, come, come talk to us. So, uh, we found a little angel money. Uh, I, I bought, you know, even ahead of getting the investment, I bought a, a vacuum induction furnace from eBay. It's like $5,000. I begged the person to basically like store it at their facility for like two months before I could get it shipped up, uh, to my co-founder Matt's house. Uh, where we could put it in a, a shipping container and, and kind of start building it. We started piecemealing this thing together and got a small angel uh, investment. Um, and, and basically the six months after that, we were able to uh, put this this uh, yeah, Frankenstein machine together on his front lawn. And, you know, nice. lo and behold, at exactly that same time, the U.S. Army uh, put out a solicitation and, and the topic was, is there a company that could recycle, you know, battlefield scrap and turn it into metal powder on, on a forward operating base? And so on the, on the front cover of that proposal, we had the, the system that we built, you know, basically being moved uh, out of Matt's house and, and into a, a facility. Um, and from, from that point on, it was the catalyst point for, for doing that inside of the Department of Defense. And, um, that also led to kind of the commercial growth. I mean, in the very first six months uh, of that, that system operating, we had produced aluminum, stainless steel, uh, uh, steel 4340, uh, titanium, and copper, uh, all just kind of like demonstration points of recycling. And uh, that, that really opened uh, all of our eyes to, to kind of a capability that, that we had created uh, pretty quickly. The, the note here is that they put it in the shipping container because they didn't have another place to store it. It's your right to store it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, we built it. We didn't have any place to actually build it. Uh, so, I mean, that was how to stay dry in, in the winter. Matt's a, my, my co-founder's a pretty unique guy. He actually has two other shipping containers and then has uh, basically a, an awning in between them. And that's where he works on his Jeeps. He, he, he builds like, like rock crawling Jeeps. So it was it was his second rodeo, I guess, on the put it in a shipping container idea. But yeah, we we got so many uh, people thought it was a smoker. Um, you know, it's the world's biggest smoker. I don't know what it would be an industrial smoking. Uh, they also thought it was a meth lab. I we had neighbors. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how to make math, but I'm sure it's not. Uh, I'm sure that's not how you make it. I, I saw breaking. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you don't need a giant uh, <laughs> exactly <laughs> smelter. You need a smelter yeah. to make math, right? That's how you do it. Yeah, smelter and, and cold syrup. <laughs> yeah, 120 kilowatts of plasma is probably overkill for, for the math lab. But uh, were you running this thing? Were you running this thing on residential power power as well? Oh, good we question. couldn't do it. So diesel diesel generator was the uh. thing you could do out there, um, but that that's not um, that's not the sustainable method. I mean, the the cost of diesel and yeah, you, you yeah. got to get it, got to <laughs> get it in. I mean, it 
it's sustainable if if you're yeah. you know in the field at a forward operating base right it's if you're the u.s military it's fine <laughs> yeah it's, it's not sustainable for a company that barely has enough money to yeah i mean we, we weren't taking salaries right i mean this was like right. passion project at this point but wait a minute so this is like if you want you would need 120 kilowatt right that's peak or what that's yeah, peak draw or is that the, throughout the process or what that's the peak uh, for melting. Okay. We, we actually have upgraded the the melting system to do 240. Um, we just did a, a Molly tungsten uh, material, super high melting point, and we I mean we were using every bit of that uh, that power um, to get mm -hmm. that thing molten and, and get it atomized. Yeah. So yeah, 240 yeah. kilowatts is our max right now. But then you're talking like you need these big cat generators, right? Or <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the traditional Ford operating base has multiple uh, 160 kilowatt. That's kind of their, oh, okay. their general uh, yeah. sense. I've, I've looked at uh, Tesla power walls uh, also. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you can get a basically another shipping container size Tesla power wall that could power it. Container, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so there's there's yeah. lots of methods once you get it there. It's just like for, you know, shoestring budget. Yeah, it was, it's kind of a one and done. You get it out there, you rent the generator for a couple of days and yeah, you prove it and then you got to just rent a facility. It's not, it's not something you can do for a long time. How do, do the neighbors like you guys? <laughs> when when did this all start? Yeah, right. I'm sure the neighbors loved you. <laughs> you know, they're happy we left, I'm sure. I, I would, the other thing is uh, Matt's wife. I mean, she was absurdly patient. I mean, one time we, we ordered a bunch of parts and for some reason, the, the company that uh, sent us these metal parts, they, they basically encased them in like an epoxy foam for shipment. So there was just like, you know, for better words, like packing peanuts all over their yard. And, and the, also when we were buying parts, it was like Christmas, like McMaster Christmas. There was just, you know, every Friday for the first two or three hours of the day, we were just breaking down boxes. It, yeah, it was uh, the patience <laughs> of that family. Yeah, we, we thank them a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. So, how did you find this? Okay, so I can understand that you have this crazy idea and you want to do this, but how do you find a group of people to do this without a salary? You know, how, how does this work? Naivety and just being young, I think, is really the only <laughs> the only way that. You I, there's no way that if you. If someone told you how hard starting a business would be that you'd ever start if you if you really knew until you've had success like once you've had success then you you understand it's kind of part of the challenge but yeah it's i think none of us had ever really started a business so we really didn't know what we were getting into and then once you get into it and you get some success you, it's kind of addicting i guess you, you just want to see it through so when did you start uh, 2015 year? Okay. Yeah, 2015 is when, when the company really got rolling. I'd been thinking about the concept, you know, probably 20, 2013, 2014, um, made the jump, uh, 2015. What's your, have you guys sold a bunch of units? Or are you profitable? Uh, so we, we don't sell the, the Greyhound system. Um, we, we may sell the Greyhound system to, uh, to the United States government or other government entities where it doesn't make a lot of sense that, you know, we'd be in control of them. Um, but, but right now we actually own and operate uh, them. Um, they're yeah, the United States uh, is where the, the, the one Greyhound is now. And another two Greyhounds are in build and test with the, with the next location being Singapore. We already have the facility um, and we're, we're basically in route uh, to get a system there. And then, so how are you making your money now with like selling powder or what's the, what's the revenue stream now then? 
Yeah, commercially it's selling powder. Uh, so we do uh, programs um, that are basically like a recycling contract. Uh, so we'll take on metal waste and then we'll return a, a zero waste certificate. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's basically like a, an end user certificate where we uh, assert that we've taken on your metal waste. And then uh, we'll also re return uh, metal powder to a customer specification. So say the customer has, you know, this particle size, that chemistry, then yeah, we'll basically uh, return it exactly to that. Um, that's the kind of the commercial business, um, the government uh, business. We, we do uh, research and development with big armor. Uh, that's been a, a huge thrust for us. We've done um, multiple steel alloys and titanium alloys uh, for kind of armor. Um, and then we, we're also doing uh, land gear, aerospace uh, components, um, taking that the entire process. So started with kind of scrap metal and then turn it into powder, uh, verify, you know, basically you can produce that to aerospace grade. And then once we have the, the powder, then 3D print that. And uh, right now we're doing test specimens, like 600 uh, different test specimens to, to uh, produce MMPDS uh, quality data. And then we're also testing these landing gear components um, under pressure. Uh, and then we're going to do like uh, dye penetration testing to see if there's any cracks at each of the lives. So that's that on the research side is, is mostly government. And, and that's, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what we're doing on those sides. But yeah, commercially, it's, it's just uh, producing metal powder. What are your next steps for you? Where do you want to be headed? Let's say. Uh, it's really just executing on the, the commercial contracts is, is kind of the biggest holdup. I mean, we added uh, shifts now. So we're like, we're, we're running uh, two shifts a day and um, just got to keep expanding uh, the, the productivity and the production of the system kind of mature out of that uh, kind of run and gun startup phase and get into a real uh, production environment. You know, startups... This, the startup has uh, many different like lives, I guess, or, or many uh, phases of life. Um, and this right now, I think, is, is real execution. I think we're past uh, technical risk. Um, we're past kind of vision. And, and now we're really like execution risk, which is uh, it's, a, it's a really hard segment, I, I think. It's, it's really challenging. You got to put in a lot more structure than we've had. And I'm sure you guys can appreciate that. You talked to probably a lot of people that, yeah, yeah. companies and it's, it's a tough phase. No, it's like, yeah, basically, I, I, for myself, I like to like kind of divide companies into three phases, like invention, order bringing and baking. So the invention phase is like people like me, let's say, I, I want to do an ISO implementation, I'll do that. A marketing plan or customer service, I'm your guy, you know? Uh, you know, you, we do all sorts of things, we invent stuff, it's all crazy, and then we get past that first stage. And then you get the people with like the clipboards and stuff, to qualify things, to bring order, that's where you guys are now. And then these are different kinds of people. These are skilled people in one area and they're really good at that one area, they're much more kind of boring, but like they're, they're much more skilled, let's say, in like one specific skill. And then the third thing is once you get past that stage, you get in the baking phase, you know, like where day in, day out, you got to repeat your your tasks. You got to grind out that profit or that future, you know? And I think for these three things that you have very, very different people and very, very different kind of companies. I think, I think yeah, I would divide it up into three lives, let's say, most, most companies. Yep, I absolutely agree. And it's... Yeah, it's a painful stretch uh, from from doing the startup thing. I think that technology, engineering, the, the easiest things and people 
is by far the hardest. Just getting <laughs> everyone moving in the same direction is 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 quite the challenge. Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. Also, because the the guy that's the most ideal for me, like for example, I'd be perfect in the first stage. The second stage, I get antsy, you know. And third stage, I'll probably leave or do something else because it's like it's not me. So the people that are like the most valuable may not be as valuable going on, you know, and that's not how like people really think companies work, but it is, right? And these people, like the guys that are like in the beginning would be great in your innovation lab once you've got like right. offices and parking spaces and all that stuff, you know? Assuming you can get them to show up. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's, there's nothing, like I get it with the, yeah. Having also gone through this whole process where there's a, yeah. there is definitely that phase where you're all just, showing up at like random hours 3 a.m you're yeah. working on stuff and, and then yeah. you move to the next phase as you say joris until yeah. until you get to the hopefully you get to the profitable phase where you're <laughs> sustainable <laughs> so i'm ready for the profitable phase you're ready for the profitable <laughs> stage yeah it's a lot more fun i'll say that you know? but yeah. you just we, we... you swap out one set of problems for another set of yeah. problems i yeah. will say that yeah. pre we're pre-profit <laughs> just like that pre-revenue i was like i don't know who came up with pre-revenue pre-revenue right? yeah. <laughs> whoever has decided thing. Yeah, the, whoever has decided how to, to judge revenue in the venture capital world, I'd really like to have a discussion with them because they're really clueless. <laughs> I mean, it's like dollars in, it should be like Einstein. If you have dollars in, you have dollars out. And if you have more dollars in, or Edison, right? You have more dollars in than dollars coming out, you have a good business. Right. It's not that complicated. <laughs> it's really not that complicated. Oh, uh, we, we, have, yeah. we have 18 now we're pretty rapidly uh, trying to hi hire like operator or uh, yeah, kind of execution roles um, uh, and then also uh, operations that, that's been a, a big thrust is really try to try to increase uh, kind of our operations prowess um, but yeah there's 18 people right now uh, we just closed a, an equity round um, so yeah, well, I guess Congrats. we'll be going back out in the next six months or so. But um, yeah, it, it's this is always the fun time when the, the equity rounds are closed and you're not chasing and you're kind of more focused on execution. It's a yeah, it's a, a lot more fun place to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's the, always the yeah. issue, though. You're always chasing on some level, right? Like, as you just said, like you finish this round, but you'll have to do another round at some point in the future. It's always the, yeah. the fun part was having these. VC funding. Yeah, but I think these wise, that's why I always thought of it as kind of like trying to paralyze a business, let's say, or parallelize a business in the sense that you have the people doing the day to day. And let's say you have to build a new plant. Then you build, you have a team that builds a new plant, but that's a different set of people, you know? And then at one point, let's say your CEO is actually not going to be your CEO for six months because they're going to be raising capital. Well, then somebody else has to, the operations right. guy or girl has to take care. So you kind of like, in, in, in parallel, you're actually building three businesses, you know? You're building like a corporate business, which is like the capital raising people. Then you're building the next plant, right? And then you're like, you got the guys improvising with whatever like means of operation you have at that stage, you know? And building these three in parallel is always, I think, the best way I think you could do this with a small business. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think one of the huge flaws in, in just venture capitalism is the, the taxation on your key talent just to raise mm -hmm. money. And um, I, I think that yeah, it's it's not that valuable to either side. Could not um, agree more. Yeah, I, I, 
I don't know how to do it better. And I've never, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm only, I'm only, you know, 25% into this journey. So I wouldn't say that I'm an expert at it, but I, this is something that I've seen that I think needs wild, uh, yeah, you know, some serious changing, uh, if, if we want to actually have a real, uh, sustainable, uh, financial market, because I, I, it's, it's just, this is not the way to, to do it. There's not enough, mm-hmm. uh, data. There's not enough rhyme or reason. Yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really, uh, horrible uh, experience to go out and raise money. Yeah, for yeah. those of you maybe uh, like maybe give a little bit more color for people who have maybe not that much experience because essentially you're 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 pitching to all these people simultaneously and you're doing a lot of traveling. Happily, a lot of these guys live together in the same place, right? <laughs> although I don't trust, although I don't trust people that raise that they're supposed to be judging risk and they live on a fault line, but that's just me. Um, but <laughs> generally, um, then then you have to you have to then they have questions, you have presentations, and again and again you go to this process and you're negotiating with these multiple parties at the same time. So it's very taxing. And I, I don't see, I agree with you, Chris. I mean, I don't see how you can run a company in parallel with doing the raising thing, you know? You can't, or I mean, yeah. you, you can, but you can be bad at both. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I experienced it and I think it's really difficult. And um, yeah, it's 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 like, uh, I, I don't know, the, this is probably not a good analogy in, in this uh, um, environment, but it, it does seem like when, when you went to prom, uh, the, the, you know, you, you want to get the hot girl. And then once you get the hot girl, then all the other girls are interested in you. And that's how <laughs> DC works. Right. That's yeah. No, that is that's the, the best explanation. That is good. I like that. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's unfortunate because what you're doing and the type of reason that you need DC is because it's capital intensive upfront and you need to build the whole system to get going. Right. Um, you know, I, we, my company, we did it through a Kickstarter because, um, Kickstarter exists and, uh, it's a consumer product. So I, it's a lower price point and you can appeal to like a much larger audience. Um, and that's how like we did our fund and raising, <laughs> which, yeah, I didn't have to go to VC, <laughs> um, <Yeah>. but <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a good idea. That wasn't a, a gas atomizer <laughs> plant Kickstarter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that just doesn't work on Kickstarter. There, uh, you saw one? Oh, or, or, yeah, Aurora. Aurora had stuff on kick, Kickstarter at one time, right? And they were yeah. selling metal powder at one time early, early in life. Um, yeah. yeah, we never tried that. I, I've always wanted to do something in the Kickstarter space, but yeah, we, we've just never, never done that. Well, if you ever uh, want some advice on that, feel free to reach out. <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely will when we get to that point. Uh, it, it won't. It'd probably be more of like a consumer product. Yeah, uh, it makes it, more you know, sense as a consumer play than it makes for an industrial play. Yeah, yeah something where, where it hits like the sustainability, recycle, recyclability. Uh, so, you know, something that yep. probably that we're using today. You know that the, the the guys and girls in the shop right now that are are probably printing something fun that that they're using, uh, but mm-hmm. but we did it you know out of a helicopter part scrap or something. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. probably be something oh, in that cool. space. But yeah, a 3D for makers at one point. There, there's a company I know those guys very well. They're 3D for makers. They're a polymer company, and they they did a project one point where they recycled chairs from a a football stadium, and they printed them into like Ooh. trinkets and stuff. So that's kind of cool. If you would then have an iconic metal thing, like a battleship, you could recycle it. And then like maybe the money from your keychain, yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. have the US, whatever, some ship 
and then you'd recycle it and the money for that would go to veterans or something nice like that that would be a great thing dude yeah it's, it's something i noodled on for a long time so hopefully the other powder makers don't take that idea now so uh, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to get on execution i'll i'll, 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 I'll save you some uh, help here it's not as easy to do a kickstarter as people think so like... i'll have to tag up with you after this maxwell and we'll, we'll, we'll get, this, get this brewing Get yeah. This, yeah. Oh, I mean, we 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 were very we did a our first one was 2.3 million uh 26 000 backers for kickstarter um and that's still like that's still one of the top 20 i think kickstarters uh out there i mean I, i'm quite honest i haven't paid that much attention in more recent years but it's it's takes a lot more effort than it's similar to the effort required to go out and get vc but you get more attention i think um, and then it's easier to get BC afterwards. No, I think we should do an episode on on Kickstarter. I think that'd be nice to talk about Kickstarter a little bit more. But oh, I think a good video is probably a big part of that uh, that Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, so yeah, totally. You gotta you gotta get ahead of it. Give a whole wow moment. <laughs> yeah. So so like I think you did say something kind of revolutionary in the beginning, but I think maybe some people may have missed it. I mean, when I got in this industry, people were selling uh, uh, TI like the titanium powder, TI sixty four powder. For for uh, for like eight hundred and sixty dollars a kilo. Right? <laughs> Meanwhile, like the the revolutionary thing was that Arcam, AP, and C, those guys started selling it for like one hundred and eighty dollars a powder. Now, meanwhile, ingot pricing and wire pricing is well, I don't know, like twenty five bucks a kilo or something. I don't know what what it is. Depends on what, yeah. right? Uh, but somewhere around that area. So what you're really saying is that, well, now the market is like around 230, anywhere from 170 to $230 a kilo for a kilo of TI-64, right? Depending on the vendor, essentially. Um, but you want to bring this way down still, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 20, $22 to $50 a kilogram is exactly uh, the ballpark. Because once you do that, you can you know, you can actually start using additive manufacturing at, at more of like a trinket prototype or super complex uh, environment you can start using it for more like everyday applications right because then, then actually the buy to fly or, or the the advantages of printing it you know become very mm -hmm. substantial because the raw material cost is similar absolutely yeah. but still your your time in the machine costs and your post-processing costs will may, maybe push you out of like most of these really low-cost applications but still it's going to be a huge step for the industry as a whole to to, to be able to do this you know yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's like the printing press, right? Like the, the, the printing press wasn't efficient when it first started, but the printers will eventually be. And I don't know if, you know, 12 or 100 lasers or area printing, I don't know what, what the technology is that does it, but eventually the, the printer is going to start becoming, you know, absurdly productive and materials are going to become the, the real bottleneck, uh, material cost or material availability. So, I, right. I, I mean, I think that, that that time is almost inevitable. It's just, you know, a matter of when. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that all these really cool technologies like the dozen laser kind of stuff or Syrah or these kind of things will actually work, right? I mean, there's a, there's, they're also struggling with execution or they will struggle with execution to bring something that complicated to market. Uh, and they will need a lot of money to do it as well. Um, so I don't know if we're going to get that, but I, I do agree with you that, that, that materials cost is a challenge and also post-processing. I think those three things together would be, if we could solve all three of them, that would be amazing. Yeah, post-process is a nightmare. We just had these these landing gear components that had cracking uh, in it, and it's just like, and, you, and it was at the bottom of the part, and you just, there was no way you could have seen it at the build, couldn't see it through hip and heat treat, and then, you know, you start taking it off, and then it's like, ah, oh, this is cracked. This, this is terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. 
you should buy a CT machine. <laughs> yeah, probably, I should have. I'll add that to the wish list. I'm, I'm sure that, 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 that list is getting large. Yeah, you're gonna pay for uh, that, Joris. Uh, yeah, Nikon. Nikon has them. Nikon, they're great. They're wonderful. And and whoever is your health and safety manager is probably traumatized as hell anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> you just slip that in there. We've avoided most chemicals, so I don't know. They seem happy there. <laughs> Yeah, you don't do polymer and stuff. Yeah. And then what do you see? Like, where, where's your ultimate goal? We talked about your immediate future. We, we know that you want to like reduce the cost. So, like, but what's your, what's your like, like goal if you're talking, you know, uh, many years from now, let's say. Uh, I mean, I, I want to have a sustainable, you know, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be public, but, but sustainable, large uh, company that, that's, you know, producing metal uh, from recycled uh, materials. I mean, that's like the ultimate goal is to, to get this to, you know, bigger than a, a, an 18 person, um, like little militia and actually get it into a real company. Uh, that's, I, I'd like it to be, it doesn't have to be public. It, you know, I don't think we're in it to, to try to get to just an exit. We, we want to see it actually get to something that that's real and that's a real company. I mean, that's, that, that's the ultimate goal. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I wish Molly works a lot of work, uh, luck because it's a really fantastic company. It can really change the, the economics of the industry. Thank you for attending the 3D Pod. Thank you very much. And Max, thank you as well for being here today. Always a pleasure, Joris. Thanks as well and, for joining. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for listening. Uh, this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And my name is Joris Peels. Have a nice day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.